You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. What are we celebrating here? Christmas or New Year's? Both? Is that okay? Jesus. There you go. Exactly, Don. Yeah, we celebrate Jesus. We really do. A week ago today, uh, Don and I took off after service up to the Chiefs game up at Century Link Field. Uh, and because my non-legal granddaughter is his, her husband, Ben Malcolmson, is Pete Carroll's personal assistant, we were able to get field passes to be down on the field before the game. Not that Don was excited about it or anything, but running out behind him, you know, is Pat Mahomes and Kelsey, or Travis Kelsey, and I mean, the guys. And while we were standing there, the two brothers from the Seahawks team came over, even though it was a chief side, there was like a four-year-old boy there in front of us, and it's the two brothers, and one of the brothers doesn't have a hand, and they came over, and I mean, in pads, if they'd done all their warm-ups, the sweat is dripping off them, they grabbed this kid and just hugged the life out of him, do chest bumps with the dad, I guess, was there, right in front of me. I mean, it's so cool to be right there on the field, not that we were excited about it or anything, we did discover, however, that Santa Claus is a Chiefs fan. Is not a Chiefs fan. He's a Seahawks fan. And that was very disappointing to see. And my son Don, who's a veteran, standing in front of the color guard, and when they recognized what I was doing, they stood to attention, and we celebrated the fact that we can be in this country and do the things that we do. And then in, from our seats up in the nosebleed section, we watched Natalie Grant... She's, she's made the song, I believe, or the, Your Great Name, the one we start off with. She's the one that made that song famous. She sang the national anthem. I mean, man, that woman sang. It was amazing. And the wrong team won the game, but <laughs> details. <laughs> a lot of Seahawks fan around. We had a lot of fun up there. It was, just, it was a great day with Don and me driving up and back. And then we came home Christmas Eve with a family together, Cindy and, and Don and his family. And then, you know, it got real just jerking around. You're right, Bob. Do experiences at Christmas. the way to go. Something else happened yesterday. Y'all know who this is? No, it's, no. This is Maya Renee. Who are Maya and Renee's grandparents? We got another Patrick in the house. And Matt and Rhonda are grandparents now, as of last night. So... I predict, I predict many grandkid pictures will show up here. I just, I kind of know how it goes. But it's already, Rhonda's already filling up Facebook. Just such a joy to have Maya Renee come together. And it's just good. It's just good. So good. But kind of my highlight was last Monday here on this stage. Katrina did uh, Merry Christmas. What well, wasn't a monologue. She did four characters. It's just amazing what she did up here. And just did this story with Mary Christmas, 82-year-old woman who's dying of cancer. And she just, you know, just say, and she, she comes and her question, those of you who are here, what was her question that she was asking everybody? Do you believe in Christmas? And see, that's the question that we can ask 
is do you believe in Christmas? Now the question is, what do you believe in if you believe in Christmas? Because the narrative in our culture, of course, is totally different than the narrative that's in scripture. The scripture narrative is this, which we've been preaching for these fast, last five weeks when we talked about the gifts. Angel Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because she's pregnant and they're not married. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive, bear a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's the message of Christmas. That's the message of Christmas. I love the scene for the nativity story. It's a beautiful story of Christmas. Mike Rich, top producer, believer, did one, he did radio and secretariat and those things, but he did one that it was his story, his nativity story. You can see it on Netflix. It's just amazing the way he does it. And I love this picture. It's what it's about. It's a gospel for all nations. It's not just for Jewish folk, not just for Christians. This is a nativity set. I love nativity sets. This one is from Cameroon. Because Jesus comes for all people. All people. This son is born. And we're asking ourselves, I, I, I just, I saw this picture. It's a church in Iceland. You got the northern lights in the background, the stars and the cross shining out bright because it's not just people who get saved. It's the whole cosmos that gets saved because of the disastrous impact of sin and death in, in the cosmos. That's the, that's the gospel. And what I want to do this morning is look at this message of Christmas. What is the gospel? Acts chapter 2, Peter's Pentecost sermon after the Spirit is poured out, after you've got Galileans speaking Phrygian by the power of the Holy Spirit, and people say, what is going on here? And Peter explains in this incredible Pentecost sermon, which is the foundational sermon in the entire church in New Covenant time, Acts 2, through 47. And back in the back there are some notes, because you know me, I've got a lot of stuff here. I want to look at this together, though. And what I think of the gospel, thanks to Steve Walker, my friend at Redeemer down in Roseburg, break it into three pieces. The first piece is the revelation. And the revelation is what God did in Jesus. And that's the gospel. That's the heart of it. We'll unpack all these. But the first thing is, what did, what did God do? What, did God, what, what is he doing? The second part is the response. What do we do in response to what God did. And then the third part that makes it all home for us is the results. What do we get? Now I want to unpack all of these, looking through Acts 22. Instead of reading it like I usually would, I'm going to work through it just for time because we want to think about gospel looks like. Acts 2.22, fellow Israelites, Peter says, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. Now, if you know the Gospel of Luke, of course, Luke wrote both Luke and Acts, and he's looking back to that. And the key phrase in Luke is this accreditation, is he is accredited as son of God. There's a lot of different terms, but Luke really focuses on this one. This one who is son of God from all eternity becomes son of God in a new way when he's born of Mary. And he becomes the, the God-man, God among us, but that son of God 
So God has accredited him as son of God by signs and wonders. But that's not all there is because it's said here, this one is, this is the last verse of his sermon proper, verse 36, where he says, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So when you think about what God has done, he has accredited Jesus of Nazareth as Son of God, as Lord and Messiah. Son of God is that eternal second person of the Trinity come among us. Lord, well, he is God, but he's also our Lord by virtue of what he's done, the king of the world. And he is Messiah, the long-promised serpent crusher, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. That's who Jesus is. So the first stage of the gospel, who is this Jesus? And when you say, do you believe in Christmas? We're saying, you do believe about this Jesus. See, we don't get to define Jesus. The scripture does that. Verse 23. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, whom God accredited as Son of God, Messiah, Lord, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So this Son of God, Lord, Messiah, has been crucified. Doesn't sound like a good thing to do to Messiah, does it? But the thing of it is, this is not just bad guys doing bad things. Peter tells us this is done by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. This wasn't a mistake. This wasn't mob violence. This isn't what's happening in East Congo right now as the dictator of Congo, Kabali, is postponing elections to maintain his power using Ebola, which is broken out there in Beni area where I have friends, and, the, and is causing riots, and ironically, people are destroying the places of healing from Ebola, the terrible hemorrhagic virus, out of anger against Kabali, the dictator. Who's, I mean, it's, it's not like that. It's not a mistake. This is God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. It's not just a mob scene, though it is that. This is God's plan, is he be crucified. But it didn't stop there, verse 24. God raised him from the dead. Yet death, full death, spiritual, physical, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him because God's plan is at work. And verse 36 finishes that part of the sermon. And at that spot, or sorry, verse 32 finishes that part of the sermon. God has raised this Jesus to life and we're all witnesses to it. So we've got the resurrection. We've got the resurrection. Based on the prophecy of Psalm 16 that Peter unpacks there. And this resurrection is the life breaking out again in the context of terrible death. But it didn't stop there. Verse 33. What did God do? God exalted him to the right hand of God. So resurrected, yes, new life back to that embodied life, but exalted to the right hand of God. Who gets to sit at the right hand of God? Angels? Mm -mm. Sons of God. 
So in God, Ephesians 2.5 says, we get to sit there with our Messiah Jesus, who is there ahead of us. It's an amazing story that we join in exalted. But the thing that's interesting is Peter tells us what that exaltation relates to in verses 35 and 36, 34 and 35. God did not ascend to heaven. He's using Psalm 110. Reading his Psalms, reading his theology of the Psalms, David did not ascend to heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. What are the enemies that were conquered in the exaltation? Well, those enemies are the serpent, the devil, the demons, and death, the consequence of what happened back there. So this exaltation is the right hand of God to sit on his rightful place with the throne of God, but it's victory over demons and death. Now, it doesn't mean those things end. Demons still harass, demons still attack, death still invades. Earlier this morning, I was talking with Gary and Ev Walden, as I often do, and Ev is in this weird place that this may be her last Christmas because of the cancer she's got. It's weird she was telling us to put Christmas stuff away and not know if you'll ever take it out again or not. Because you just don't know. But see, the sting of death. That's what Merry Christmas was talking about in Katrina's. Because for her, as the doctor is afraid to tell her you're going to die and soon... She's saying, no, that's good news. I get to go be with Jesus, my Savior. But it's also hard because it means that Eve will leave Gary behind. Victory over death and demons. But it didn't stop there. Verse 33, the exalted right hand of God received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out. What is he pouring out? The Holy Spirit. Because that's, that's what Jesus has done, is he receives the Holy Spirit from the Father, but now he's pouring it out on the people. So this is what God did in Jesus. Jesus is Son of God, Lord Messiah, crucified, resurrected, exalted, poured out the Spirit. That's good news. That's what God did. Is this just absolutely, absolutely amazing stuff that he did in Jesus? The response is, of course, well, okay, what do we do in light of this good news? And that's where the story goes in verse 37. It ends up with you, that Jesus is the Lord and Messiah. And the people respond when they hear this. They were cut to the heart. What shall we do? Because what did they do to Messiah? They what? They, like, killed him. Good idea or bad idea? And it's probably not a good idea if God sends a Messiah and you kill him. I mean, that's kind of an ultimate act of disrespect, I would think. What are we going to do? And see, what happens in this response, the very first thing we have to do is we have to have a conviction that comes from God that there's a hole in my life. There has to be a conviction, maybe that there's sin, maybe I've done Really awful things. There has to be a conviction that I'm living with shame because of who I am. 
there has to be a conviction of fear for what's going to happen. And that conviction, and it comes out in their phrase, brothers, what shall we do? That conviction comes to a confession of that need. Because what happens so often when Jesus comes to somebody and says, will you let me heal and forgive? People say, I'm good. I don't need it. I'm okay. I'm doing, actually, I'm doing fine. Because to admit that we've got a need, to admit that we're dealing with shame and guilt, is hard to do. Because it's hard to trust somebody to tell them about that stuff in your life. And so what the Holy Spirit does is he opens up that ability to reach out and tell somebody, I'm hurting. That happened after first service. A fellow came and talked to me, and I saw it happen over on the side with our prayer team. But a guy came to me and said, I can't talk to anybody, but will you pray for me? And then he told me a little bit of what was going on. See, that's what the conviction does, is give that courage to say, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm hurting, I'm guilty, I'm shamed. And then talk to somebody about it. That's the response. But it didn't stop there. Peter said, what should you do? He says, what you should you should You should repent. And see, that's the, the next step in this response is repent. And I don't know about you, but when I think about repent, I think about something like this, don't you? Repent, sinner! Die! Go to hell! You know, and just, you know, some signboard down on Martin Luther King Boulevard or something. No, no, no. That's not the picture of repentance at all, biblically. Acts 26, Paul talking here. He says, I preached that they should repent and turn to God. It's too quick there. I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Repentance is not change of life. Repentance is about change of heart, and particularly about who's God in my life. And that, the fundamental picture of repentance is we're in a world where everybody is telling us, take care of yourself. I have been doing something I don't normally do. I've been watching Hallmark Channel Christmas movies. <laughs> I love Christmas. The Christmas songs start early in my life, and they keep going. But Hallmark Christmas movies, they all look alike, don't they? And they all tell the same basic story. But I've been watching the commercials, too, because I'm like that. And the commercials, I mean, I kind of enjoy the Hallmark stories because all redemption, they'll turn out, you know, happily ever after, which I know is not real. But what I look at are the commercials, and all the commercials are telling you, you're a mess unless you buy our product, and if you buy our product, it'll all be good. And it's a, it's a lie. It's a lie. That new Instapot will not make you the most bestest host in the world. That new diet plan, you don't need it. Well, maybe you do, but I mean, you don't, it won't satisfy the deep needs. See, they're all telling you, you don't measure up. They're all telling you, you've got to take care of yourself. But repentance, in the biblical sense, is saying there's hope and it's in Jesus. It's a different story. Repent and 
be baptized. And that baptism, I love it when we do baptisms here. I was here in second service when Michael and Hoda were baptized down here. and Their son, Ishmael? What was his name? Yosef, thank you. Yeah, I just blocked his name. Thank you, Hoda. When you guys got baptized, I was just rejoicing. Because what baptism is, is confessing before God, family, and friends that I'm a new creature in Christ. And your story is phenomenal. I'm glad I got to hear a little bit of that. Egypt to the United States to Jesus to Grace Community Church. It's astonishing. That's what baptism is. It's a tangible ritual, like a wedding, that just expresses what's new. It's great. It's love to be a part of it. That's what baptism is, a part of that response. And in verse 41, he concludes his section by talking about those who accepted the message were baptized, about 3,000 were added. So accepted the message, well, that's belief or maybe faith or maybe trust. I actually like trust is the better thing. Those who trusted the message that Jesus is Son of God, Messiah, Lord, they accept that message. They trust that it's true, and it changes their life. That's what we're talking about. The response, conviction that I have a need, confession, talking about it to somebody, especially to Jesus, repent, change my mind about who's God in my life, what's ultimately important, Baptism is a concrete expression of that because I've got the new belief and trust. That's the response. What do I get? Because see, a third point, and this is the thing, is where do I go if I do accept this message? What do I do if I do join in repentance and conviction? And that, well, that's the rest of the chapter. Verse 38 says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for what? For forgiveness of sin. That forgiveness of sin is huge. It doesn't matter what you've done. You cannot commit a sin so big that it can't be forgiven. I get questions all the time. I think I've committed the unforgivable sin. Maybe you have. See, the unforgivable sin is saying I don't need to be forgiven. And as long as you're committing that sin, it's unforgivable. Because if you won't let God forgive you, you can't receive it. It's not that you're locked in it. It's not the unrepentable sin. What you're saying is, I've got a need, and Jesus, I want to meet it. And what that does, it makes you child of God. I think of the drive up to Seattle and back with my son, Don. We talked a lot on the drive up and back. Of course, we talked about the football game while we were there. But on the way back, it was father-son time. A lot of different stuff going on because he's a father now too and we talked about that and we talked about our history back in the day when he was doing drugs in high school and I mean serious drugs and just the difficulty of going through that it was hard times but he's my son and we could talk about stuff it was hard to go through it was hard to go through And when he got his general discharge from the army because of stuff he was doing, I mean, that's a mark that's on for life. But in his repentance, what he did was he went back into the army reserves 
served faithfully for 11 years in the reserves and came out with an honorable discharge. I'm so proud of my son. And we talked about that. Father-son, father-daughter, Cindy's part of her life too. But we're son of God. Accepted in Christ. Child of the king of the universe. That's what we get. But it doesn't stop there. He says, and you'll also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And see, that gift of the Holy Spirit that comes, what does that mean? Well, fundamentally what it means is new life that comes by the power of the Spirit. It's a, it's a new power within me. You say, I don't have the power to do that. Well, you don't by yourself, but with the Holy Spirit that's there, with the new desires that he brings in, the new community around us. Yeah, we can do a lot. And then it goes on and describes at some length what that looks like. They, those 3,000, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. Everyone filled with thought the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles because in this community, the spirit, spirits at work and miracles happen today as well as then. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I look at needs that are met through this community. Sometimes through our fellowship funds, sometimes through just individuals who step up, sometimes through other resources in our community, but we're about meeting needs because we're a community. That's what life is about. They continued to meet together in temple courts, broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. That new community of the spirits is astonishing. But it didn't stop there because one more phrase there as the sermon closes in verse 47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved because, see, we not only have a new community of the spirit, we have a new mission. And behind it all, behind it all, is a new hope. And that hope is as bad as things are. And for some of you, they're just awful. As bad as things are, there's always hope. I just read a message. I have a friend who lived for a long time in Baghdad. And he doesn't live there anymore, but he had some friends from Baghdad visiting him for Christmas. And they reported to believers in Jesus Christ what it's like to be living in Baghdad right now. I thought, how in the world can you have hope when you never know how you're going to be? I mean, it's just awful place. There's always hope because Jesus is alive and powerful. And what we do as Jesus followers, what we do fundamentally, of course, is we tell the Jesus story. Now, what is the Jesus story? Where does it begin? We just went through it. What does it begin with? What God did. And what did he did? He credited Jesus as Son of God, Lord Messiah. He was crucified, resurrected, exalted the right hand of God, and poured out the Spirit. So what do we do in response? Well, convicted that we have a need, talk about the need, confession, repent, change my mind about what's ultimately real and who's God, be baptized as a concrete expression of that, and trust that it's true, even when it seems so hard. And what do we get if we come out of that? We get what? Forgiveness, accepted as a child of God. We get the gift of the Holy Spirit, new life. We get 
new community of the Spirit, we get new mission and we get new hope. That is the Jesus story. And you just need to learn that. Acts 2, 22 through 47, it's right there. And then what do we do with that? We tell the Jesus story. Tom, come on up here. We tell the Jesus story, and we also tell my Jesus story. Because living the Jesus story fundamentally means living that gospel-centered life in the messy community of the Spirit. This is Tom. A lot of you know Tom. Some of you don't. He's an amazing guy, longtime friend. And uh, if we go back about, mm, let's pick a number, let's go back about 30 months, May, June, July 2016, what were you up to? As most of you know that I I was the outreach assistant here at Grace during that time, and, um, well, VBS was taking a a hold of the church. How many kids are in here for VBS? Oh, there's a little over 500. 500 kids, and you're in charge of kind of the details of all that. Correct. Kind of an overwhelming job. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's where I feel God wanted me to be at. Yeah. And I was re- I'm retired from my my work in 2010, and I just felt like um, 30 months ago that I was really serving God and and uh, doing what God wanted me to do, and I I felt really charged up and blessed being able that how God was using me and you laughed a lot yes yes and Denise tell us a little bit about Denise Denise um, she was quiet and meek but she was also my supporter Um, I could not have done what I did here at Grace without her support and encouragement and she was uh, my life and so the two of you serving together here at Grace, and you traveled a fair bit. And Heidi took pictures of you doing something while you traveled. What did she do? One of the things that um, became almost a joke is anywhere we went throughout the United States, which I've been in every state except one. We could fix um, that. <laughs> uh, my daughter, I'd give her a wink or I'd give her a, a nod and, and she would uh, get her camera ready and she would catch me kissing Denise. <laughs> Most famous kisser in the world is Tom. <laughs> Just great. And then what happened? October. Right after VBS, um, it was in October, through that uh, 2016 time, my sister was uh, diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. That's almost a kiss of death. Um, In a very short period of time, uh, in October 21st of 2016, my sister uh, died. And so, she, I was very close to her and everything, so it was a, a tough time for me during that time. And um, she lived in Southern California, and, and my wife and I were going to go to her memorial service and everything. And um, as we were planning and getting ready, in fact, I think we were going to leave like two days. Um, 
my wife was sitting in a chair and she became non-responsive, incoherent, and what had happened is she suffered a minor stroke. So I got her down to emergency, and when I got her down to emergency, she had a major stroke, which um, during that process and everything, they had her on life supports. So you went from Denise helping you to go to your sister's memorial to being in the hospital, and she's dying. Correct. So death has invaded twice. Community around you? The community around me was, during that time, especially at the hospital, um, from the 2nd of November to November 21st, um, it was phenomenal. There were people that surrounded me and supported me, and they basically put their life on hold to, to help me walk through the, that difficult time. But still, I mean, you're the guy. You're there in the hospital with your wife trying to help with her care, and then you had to make a big decision. I did. Um, you don't know how you're going to react to it, but seeing somebody on life supports and having people look at you and say, what, what do you want? What's this person's wish? And I struggled with that. Um, I remember talking to Pastor Jay hours about it, about uh, making that, that decision. And it took me 10 days. And realizing that being on life support was my wife going, was that, did that mean that she would be a quality of life or were we just prolonging death? Yeah. And that decision for me to yep. take her off life support um, was the most difficult decision I had ever made in my life. And you had community around you, but still it's your decision. And the doctor asked you the question and said, shall we remove the life support? And you, knowing that you were only extending dying, said... I, I said, yes, take her off life support. And they did? Yes. And she went to be with Jesus? Yes. And you're alone? Correct. Um, during that time, uh, it's so hard to explain this, but it's, it's like life is being sucked out of you. I mean, totally drained. Um, you're grasping for hope, um, any hope, any word of encouragement, any, anything, but it, it's life, it's being drawn out of you that you don't see that hope in right away. So at the funeral here in this room, the memorial is amazing. You can go to Tom's Facebook page and see pictures of that because it's just two years ago. And then after the funeral, you filled your life with work again. Yes, I, I knew that trying to find out what God's plan for me where was, was difficult. And being having that alone time like that, you have a tendency, or for me, I had to get busy. I knew that wasn't the answer, though. I just needed to occupy my mind. Mm -hmm. And so during that first year, um, VBS rolled around again, and I, um, I had several people say, boy, you don't look happy, and, and they were correct. 
um, and they would um, slowly but sure realize that I realized that I was on a journey by myself and and it was something that I would have to come up with I can't um, get the answers from other people it's God's got to give it to me where was God where was he God during that time was um, phenomenal I out of my 63 years of life I would go for walks and listen to worship music and I could close my eyes and in the first time in my life when I closed my eyes God was so tangible in my life and I could I, I sensed that I could reach and actually touch him like wow. this Amazing. and it was a uh, actually a spiritual high for me yeah. even though I was still grieving and trying to figure out where life was taking me so God is tangibly present communities around you and you're going down how bad? Um, right after VBS, it, it's, my life started spiraling down rapidly. And in um, October of 2017, um, it got out of control. And I had a really, really good friend tell me that I needed to go see a doctor and when I saw the doctors I actually saw a counselor then a doctor you've been doing counseling this whole time yeah mm -hmm. um, they told me that through looking at me and talking to me that I was severely depressed and I was on the threshold of suicide so they put me on medication more counseling yep yep now, there's another thread we need to bring into this place because somebody else faced death. Tell us what happened around that. <clears throat> in um, probably five or six months, in May of 2017, I heard that Jack Farr passed away. Like that. Instantly. And so <clears throat> during that time, I... Just short time after in that in May, I actually was dreading the thought of seeing Lori Farr. Because you knew her. You knew her Jack well. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and you didn't want to see her? No. Because I knew that it was an open wound for me. Yep. And emotionally, I didn't think I could handle that. And I prayed. I, I still remember this. I prayed. Lord, please, please don't let me bump into Lori Farr. Um, and? Well, one day I came to church here, coming in to, to work, and lo and behold, God had a sense of humor, I guess, or God had a different plan. When I opened the door, Lori Farr was standing right there, and she asked me, does it get any easier? And I said, no. Oh my gosh. She's looking for hope and you say, no. Why did you say that? Because at that time, that's where I was at. That's true. And I was trying to give her truth yeah. knowing that that's a, a painful statement to hear that 
to see somebody after mm -hmm. six months of losing their spouse to say that right now, I, at that time, that I was still having life sucked out of me. Yeah. But in that process, the two of you connected. We did. Tie us up in a couple of minutes what happened there. During that uh, time, we decided that we would go ahead and, and start just getting, going out to dinner and having, having coffee and stuff and just talk about the time bench, bounce off our feelings with one another. Because you didn't have to explain. They, she yeah. gets it. And you get it. And as that time went on, our friendship started growing into more of a, um, a relationship. Mm -hmm. And we kind of resisted it at first. And be, knowing that, that, that getting involved in a, another relationship, we would have to maybe possibly experience that same pain that we just are trying to walk out of. And so we resisted it, and I guess God has other plans. Yeah. And we um, decided to s strike up a relationship that about a month ago led into a marriage. November 21st, 18th. November 18th. Cascade Locks. Cascade Locks. It's on Facebook. You can see it. You and Laura are married. She's right there. <laughs> and everything's perfect now. Uh, no. No. <laughs> no. No, of course not. We're, of course not. Life is going, but going. It's life. Everybody knows this. Life is not perfect. Yeah. And there's still a decent hole in your life? Yeah, of course there is. It, during that process and everything. And there's still a jack hole in your life? Mm -hmm. During that process, you, in our relationship, we started learning that there's room in our heart to love again. We don't lose that love for our former spouse. It's just, it's different. Yeah. Yeah. And so in this process, you're living life in messy community. People still said things that were hard for you to hear. Yes. Out of the, sometimes out of the best of motives. Yes. And, and still do. They still do. And, and during that time, too, I, I got more out of uh, comfort out of just, I'm a hugger. So people would come up to me and say that they, they love me and hug me. And that probably gave me more charge than anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just, yeah. And you're living your life now as a follower. What would it have been like if Jesus wouldn't have been in your life during this? Um, I truly, truly believe, based on my counseling and the doctors, I probably would not be standing here. I would have probably committed suicide. Yeah. Yeah. Worship team, come on up here. And God is still real in your life. Most definitely. Most definitely. Community is still around you. Yes. And you're daring to talk about the hardness, the conviction that says you've got these needs and you're letting us walk with you in different ways. Yes. You're a blessing. You are a blessing, brother. Tom, thank you. This is what gospel is about. Some... My wife, Sherry, walked 
closer with Tom than I did. I got to walk some with him. Rhonda and Jay, super close. And there are people who are close, but there'd be times when Tom would need them and they weren't there and it hurt. There were times when people showed up and he didn't even know it and it was incredible. I mean, that's messy community. That's what we do. But in the midst of that, that's part of what I love about Tom's story is he opened up to people, and he still is, the hole in his life and let us walk with him. And that living gospel life in messy community, well, that's, that's what the Jesus life is about. And that's what we're talking about here as we talk about gospel here. And it's what we're going to sing about. Sarah. That is our belief. It really is. That gospel belief, some of you hear you that don't yet have that connection with Jesus. You're still looking around. You're still wondering. You're, can I trust? A lot of us are here that have been doing the Jesus thing for a long time. We need to do that confession too. I'll just pray a prayer here. I'm going to pray it as a one who receiving gospel. And maybe you're here and you've never done this before. Pray it with me. You've got prayer teams over on the sides. If you need to do some Jesus business or come talk to us. Because in this new year, we want you to walk it with Jesus like Tom and Lori are. Let's pray together. Father, you do love us enough to send your son that the two of you can partner together, both agonizing. That the Son of God, Lord Messiah, can be crucified to every kind of shame, to expose my shame, but in the hope of resurrection life springing out again. I want to receive that life. Exalted the very right hand of God over every enemy, death, despair, demons, disease. I need that exaltation. I need that encouragement. And you pour out the Holy Spirit. There is hope. Forgiveness, shame taken away, fears, still fears, but with the power and hope of Jesus. I believe I receive a trust that that's true. Holy Spirit, empower us to tell that story and to tell my Jesus story because people in despair and shame and fear and guilt need it so badly. The world says don't speak of it, but we will. We will. We'll tell my Jesus story. Thank you, Jesus, for giving a story worthy of everything we are, and we praise you and ask for you to be blessed in all that we do and live when we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go change the world. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.